בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה. ברוך השם, always good to be here in Miami. It's amazing to see the group continuing to grow, ברוך השם. חזקים וברוכים, bring more people, bring more people with the Torah, בעזרת השם. And uh, this series, Baruch Hashem, this Pirkei Avot series, this Musar series is really getting a lot of good feedback. A lot of people are saying that this is the stuff they've been looking to hear. They heard the parasha, they heard different things, but they are always looking for things to apply in their life. You know, what could I use from the Torah, from the stories of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov in my business? What could I use from Moshe Rabbeinu in my marriage? What could I use from Aaron or David HaMelech with raising my kids? What could I do? So Baruch Hashem, this Pirkei Avot, it's each one of the sages is taking the wisdom that they got all the way from Mount Sinai and is minimizing it into a simple sentence, into a simple one-liner or two-liner. And as we've seen from the series, analyzing even one of these sentences, we could analyze it for six years, not six hours or two hours, but six years and still learn more. It's unbelievable how much wisdom they were able to fit in such few words. So, Baruch Hashem, we have a lot of uh, good things, a lot of things that we're learning together. But before I forget, let's do the Refuah Shlema and also the uh, Shiur. Anyone that wants to watch it online later on, go to TorahAnytime.com or our website, BeZatHashem.org. Uh, also, this uh, Shiur will be to Ilui Nishmat. Your, uh, your mother's name, you said? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, Olga Flores. Oh, oh, Ilui Nishmat Olga Flores. And also, Refuah Shlema to... Michel Koto, Hadassa Batsara, Amparo Balufe, Ruven Joseph Ben Rivka, Sara Batsara, Gladys Nunez, Edilma Guerrero, Isabel Perez, Josefina Matos, Marcela Matut, Alondra Matut, Anna Cedeno, uh, Guillermo Solano, Jose Avila, Bill Deutschman, Herb Finkel, Raquel Sandler, Luardes Garcia, Luardes Renzoli, Yoshua Mikael Ben Hadassa, David Uriel Ben Sara, Ruven Pablos, and Dubilma? Truviela. Truviela. Truviela Guerrero. So, no one. She doesn't, it's not on the list next week. Not the same. They all have Lefwata Nefesh, Lefwata Guf, and all of Am Israel, whoever we've mentioned, whoever we didn't mention, all of them have Lefwata Nefesh, Lefwata Guf. The beauty of Torah is that the Torah is the cure for the Nefesh. And sometimes if you do enough nefesh, enough, uh, enough of the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, enough nefesh, you have the goof also. Sometimes you learn enough Torah that Hashem rewards you with having also the fwashlima of your goof also, of the body also. This is my own personal story. I was sick for seven years, a lot of suffering, a lot of surgeries, a lot of craziness. But you learn enough Torah and Hashem says, okay, you know what? It's not really worth it for me to keep you sick. You can use this body that I gave you to go publicize Torah, to go publicize the word of Hashem, to go publicize what we need to do. Okay, so we'll make you healthy, Baruch Hashem. And that's what happens. Torah is the cure for everything. You have doubts in life, Torah is the cure. You have shlombite problems, Torah is the cure. You have uh, any type of emunah issues, Torah is the cure. You have uh, business problems, Torah is the cure. You have children issues, Torah is the cure. For everything. It actually even says in the Gemara, if you have a headache, learn Torah. Headache. Now don't take Advil. They don't prescribe Advil. See, you have a headache, go learn Torah. So it's amazing that you could literally solve any problem you want with the Torah. Now, obviously, this is the, uh, the simple. It's uh, in order to get to a point where the Torah could literally cure a headache, or it could literally solve a shlombite problem, 
or it could solve any type of issue. You can't just learn one verse, you know, for a half hour and that's it. Okay, it solves all your problems. Obviously, you have to dig deep into it. And Hashem has to give you the siyata dishmaya, the help from heaven, to solve the problem. In reality, it's Hashem solving the problem. But the Torah is the key. The Torah is the key. Now, as we learned in last night's year and also the last couple of years that we've been learning together, Baruch Hashem, the Torah is not a history book. The Torah is not just an instruction set that's nice to hear. It's like a Harry Potter book slash self-help. You can listen to it if you want. You don't really have to. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. As Jews, we're obligated to listen to the Torah and comply with everything it says. Same thing with non-Jews. Non-Jews also have to comply with the Torah and everything that it says. Obviously, they have slightly different rules. They have less rules than the Jews do. They have the seven Noahide laws and everything that's common sense. Meaning, it's not just seven laws. They have all the seven laws, which we know from Noah. But we also have all the laws that are common sense. So, for example, respecting your parents. Respecting your parents is not one of the seven Noahide laws, but it's a law that is obvious that anyone with a brain would know. You have to follow it. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, doesn't make a difference. You have to respect your parents. Not being angry is not uh, something that's part of the seven Noahide laws, but it's obviously something that we need to do. Developing your character, being a better person, and so on. So all of the things that are common sense, both Jews and Gentiles must follow. Now, and the reason why it's important to say must follow and now it's good to follow, because when you say it's good to follow it, it makes it sound like it's a, um, it's just, a, you know, it's like a hobby. It's okay if you do, it's okay if you don't. Some people like baseball, some people like football. It's nice. But that's not what Hashem said. Hashem never said, it's nice if you're going to follow my laws. It's nice if you listen to me. He didn't say it's nice. He said, you must listen to me. These are the laws. There's no option kind of option. Meaning that this is the law, you must follow it. Anyone who doesn't follow it, there's a punishment. And that's why the 13 principles of faith, one of the most, these are the 13 things that the Rambam says, whoever doesn't believe in these 13 principles of faith is not considered Jewish. They could have the hat and the beard and the everything else. But if they don't believe in these 13 principles of faith, they're excluding themselves out of the nation. One of those 13 principles of faith is believing in reward and punishment. If you do good, you get rewarded. Not necessarily always in this life. Sometimes in this life, you get part of the reward. But the real reward is in the next life. And punishment is sometimes a lot in this world. But the real punishment is in the next world also. So they ask the sages, okay, wait a minute. You have plenty of people that are righteous, that are going to Beknesset, that are praying, that are giving tzedakah, that are doing all these wonderful things, but if you, especially people that are avrechim, people that learn Torah for a, leave, for a living, go to Jerusalem, you have all these avrechim. All they do is learn Torah. Nothing else. They don't have any business. They don't have anything else. All they do, wake up in the morning, they go learn Torah. In the afternoon, they learn Torah. At night, they learn Torah. When they come home, after they help the wife, handle the kids and everything else, what do they do? No TV. No internet. No hanging out with the guys who are over a couple of beers. What do they do? They learn more Torah. That's it. That's it. But if you look at their life, some cases, not all of them, but in many, many cases, 
in our eyes, especially living in America, where everything is lavish and convenience is a, is a uh, something we we take for granted, their life is miserable. No money. They're struggling on a daily basis. I hear some of these stories from some of these Avrahim that I know are connected to. Mama, she want to cry. Mama, she want to cry. Just uh, two days ago. This Avrech, my Rav, who's, his, his wisdom is beyond anything I could explain. He tells me this other guy is a Gaon. So when someone that's a genius calls somebody else a genius, you know the other guy is a big deal. He says to me, I saw he couldn't come to the caller today because he's having a lot of issues, slum bite, because the wife found out that um, he's been hiding a 50,000 shekel debt that they have because she just figured, you know, they're married for only a few years and maybe he had some money and she thought, oh, he's going to Kolel because they only make 1,500 shekels, 2,000 shekels a month, which is 500 bucks a month. Nothing. Even as a single person, you can't live for $500 a month. Doesn't matter where. Can't live like that in Israel. 500 shekels, $500 a month, wife, couple of kids, the wife is not working, she finds out that in reality they've been living off of debt, all of a sudden the landlord wants to kick them out, the bank is calling him like he just robbed the bank, because they want the loan back, and all of a sudden his whole world is collapsing and the wife is losing her mind, and they can't afford anything, and uh, my my Rav says, I saw his daughter walking around the street with ripped clothes, because they don't have money to pay for her clothes, for a little girl with clothes. She has rips. She has rips in her clothes. This is a genius in Torah. The world revolves and is moving because of people like him. Because of people like him, the world still exists. In the book of Jeremiah, Hashem told us, if it's not for my covenant, meaning for learning of Torah, if it's not for that, for a moment, there's somebody out there that's not learning Torah, Eliminate the world instantly. No second chances. No way. Hey, listen, guys, you should start learning Torah. No warnings. If for a moment someone's not learning Torah, no more world. So this person is learning Torah nonstop. He has a little girl, doesn't have clothes. She has rips in her clothes. They can't afford clothes. This is every week I hear this. One other guy, he, he borrowed. He borrowed ingredients to make soup so you can return it. Another guy said to the other guy, listen, you made soup, you had chicken soup, give me the bones. So at least my kids have flavor. Bones of chicken. This is Bnei Torah, Bnei Torah. This is real, this is people at Sadiqim. Mama, you want to cry when you hear this? Sometimes I do. So now you ask yourself, how do how you explain this? This is the Torah and this is the schal, this is the reward they get. How do you explain this? So first and foremost, we have to understand, we don't know the cheshbonot of Shemaim. We don't know the accounting of Shemaim. Just because we learn a little Torah doesn't, know, doesn't mean that we can run the world. If we understood Him, we would be Him. That's what the Rambam said. If He understood God, He would be God. So first and foremost, we have to understand, we, we don't understand. We don't know the accounting of Shemaim. Number two, everybody gets a test at their own level. We barely are able to have, uh, you know, meet certain guidelines that to them it's not even a test. Some people just started doing tshuva, they call me or email me or text me 50 times before Shabbat. No, what happened? Well, Shabbat's coming, what's what's the matter? Why are you testing me or ca- calling me or whatever 50 times? He goes, I don't know if I can keep this Shabbat. What? Just sleep the whole Shabbat. What's such a big deal? 
I don't know. I don't know if I could stop touching my phone. Throw the phone in the garbage. Put it in a pool. I don't know. Put it in a drawer. Lock it. Put it in a safe. Don't, don't, don't have the combination. Give it to somebody else. You can't not touch your phone for 25 hours. That's his test. Me scan. The guy can't, can't, he can't not touch his phone. I have another guy. Me scan every other day. I'm sorry, Kvodov. I know I watched your wasting seed video so many times, but I'm still failing. Still failing. Miskanim. It's an addiction. According to the Zohar Kadosh, it says that the addiction of wasting seed is more than anything else in this world. Once someone gets addicted to wasting seed, it's more addictive than crack cocaine. That's how bad. And I'm not talking about somebody who's about tshuva, doesn't know anything. I'm talking about avrech, avrech in America. Avrech, people in America go to kolo, go to yeshiva. Yeshiva kids calling me and telling me, listen, uh, listen, I never knew it was that bad. But now that I know it's that bad, I'm trying to stop. I can't stop. I can't stop. I can't. I stop for a week, two weeks, three weeks, I fall. I said, okay, try again, try again, try again. Baruch Hashem, lat, lat, they're getting out of it. But it's hard, it's hard test for them. But this Bnei Torah in Yerushalayim, he doesn't have these tests. You think he's wasting seed bichlal? You think he has problems with emunah, problems to his tefillin in the morning, wake up on time? No, he doesn't have these tests. His test is like a different world for us. We can't even see it as level. It's like Moshe Rabbeinu for us. It's not, we don't know. This is a test. Little girl doesn't have clothes. We can't even imagine something like that in America. The poor people eat better than some rich people in other countries. You're talking about uh, South America. Some people in South America, I know from some people that watch the shiurim, they tell me what they see. It's like, listen, some people are rich, some people are very poor. Yeah, some people got plenty. And here in America, even the poor person is eating better than some of the rich people. <laughs> they have uh, value meals for $1 in America. $1 you get yourself a whole uh, five-course meal for McDonald's. So, different tests. So that's the second, that's another thing that we have to understand. Different levels, different tests. And most importantly, we have to understand that Hashem doesn't have to give accounting to anyone. Doesn't have to explain himself to anyone. That's why he's Hashem. When we start saying he's not fair, he's not this, he's not that, it's 100% kfira. It's 100% heresy. The fact that he even has enough mercy on us to say those words shows how merciful he really is. If I was God, I'd destroy the world every day. That's what I tell my Rav all the time. I see all the bad things in the world. I see rabbis talking bad about other rabbis. I see people going against tshuva. I see people going against the Torah publicly, doing all these different types of horrible things. If I was God, I'd destroy the world or like Noach every day. Create it and destroy it. Just, just, just to do it. Just, that's how bad certain things are in the world. But Hashem is merciful. So we can't say, oh, why did he do this? Why did he do this? So now, you ask the next question. Why is it that some people do get rewarded then? So we have to understand, Chazal explains to us, and we learned this a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, in one of the shiurim here, I think it was. The Rambam explains that the reason why Hashem gives somebody reward, let's say, for example, somebody works really hard, starts learning Torah a few hours a day, all of a sudden he starts seeing his business starts to work out. All of a sudden he sees a new contract, $80,000 came in, more money than he can imagine. Next week after that, a half a million dollars. Next week after that, all of a sudden he's a millionaire, a few months. What do you do? Learn some Torah with Duff Yomi, two hours every day, what do you do? All of a sudden he became a millionaire, Hashem is giving him so much reward. 
So Rambam explains, he says, Hashem saw that that person, when he had a little bit of money, he was giving tzedakah. He says, oh, you're making a mitzvah? You're making, my son is making a mitzvah? So let me give you more money. So you make more mitzvot. I'm going to help your mitzvah. You want to make a mitzvah, so I'll give you more tools to make more mitzvot. He didn't give you the money because that money is the reward. He gave you the money so you can make more mitzvah. More mitzvot. That's the point of the money. He didn't heal you so you could tell everybody, Oh, look, Baruch Hashem, I'm not sick anymore. To your friends that are around you that saw you when you're sick. He made you healthy so you could tell the whole world, Look what Hashem did for me. Not just your friends. Your friends are going to know or not going to know. It doesn't make a difference. But the rest of the world. He didn't give you the reward because that's the reward for the tshuva. He's giving you the reward so you can sanctify His name, so you can do Kiddush Hashem. So you can, he can, He's trying to help you make more mitzvot. That's the point of it. Because the real reward, it's so big that Chazal explains to us that the reward for the smallest mitzvah, pick any mitzvah you want. We don't really know which one's the biggest, which one's the smallest. We know things based on sin. We know that violating Shabbat is the worst sin in Judaism. We know that Chilu Hashem also is up there and also wasting seed on purpose. Those are the three biggest sins in Judaism are those three. But as far as level of reward, what's the bit, what's the best, what's the worst, we don't know the details. Rabbi Udanasi tells us, don't measure the big ones or the small ones because we don't know the accountings of Shemayim. But we do know that the reward for the smallest mitzvah, whatever the smallest mitzvah is, whichever one it is, the smallest mitzvah you can think of, the reward for it is bigger than all of the wealth and all of the good that everyone has ever had combined in this world for the smallest mitzvah. So what? Hashem giving you a couple of million dollars, a couple of houses, a couple of kids, a wife, whatever, all these things. You think that's enough of a reward for one of these mitzvot? No. So the money that He's giving you, the panasah, the zivug, all those things, that's just to help you make more mitzvot. When we make more mitzvot, we're giving Hashem an incentive to give us more. We're making more sins, we're giving Hashem an incentive to take it back. So now, as we see from all of these avachim, all of these different difficulties that they all deal with, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing for Hashem? What are we doing for Okay, for us, okay, we learn Torah, it's for us. It's for us, not for Hashem. Hashem already has the Torah, He doesn't need your Torah. Parnassah, it's for you. It's, it's for Hashem also. It's, it's, it's for you. It's not, Hashem has all the money in the world. Liyakes of Eliyazav, he says, Mine is the um, silver, mine is the gold. He has all the money in the world. He doesn't need your money. The uh, getting married is for you. Having kids for you. Everything's for you. What are you doing for Hashem? So there's only a couple of things we can do for Hashem that in essence is he's going to do anyway. But we could partner up with him, if you will. One is helping B'nai Torah, helping people that are learning Torah for a living. Helping these people, being the messenger, being the messenger of Hashem and saying, listen, listen, here's $100, I don't have much, here's $100, buy your daughter some clothes. Here's uh, $50 here, here's food for, uh, you know, for the next couple of days. Without them asking you and having these big uh, campaigns on the internet, most of them don't even have computers. 
you connect, you, co- you know, if someone really wants to do chesed, they find who's who's connected to a kolel, you connect to a kolel, all of these people, most of them are poor. People like to help poor people, but they don't like to help Torah. The good news here is, most people learn Torah poor in today's world. So that's one way you publicize the Torah. Why? Because they're the reason why we exist. Second thing is, add more Jews to the nation. Add more Jews to the nation. There's two ways. There's two ways of doing it. One is the Jews among us that don't have a clue of what being Jewish is. We have millions of them. We have 80% of the nation still thinks it's okay to drive on Shabbat. No, but for the Rav, I'm driving to Shul. Where is the right? Where does it say in the Torah that you're allowed to drive to Shul on Shabbat? Where does it say that? It doesn't say that. It says you're not to light a fire. According to one of my students, who's an engineer, tzaddik that he is, he did a report. He knows cars. He says, listen, you always mention not to drive on Shabbat. It's a fire. It's a fire. So I did an analysis. How much fire is in a car? And he says, every time you drive a car on Shabbat, in a matter of moments, let's say you, you drive the car 60 miles an hour, which he calculated a certain amount of RPM that it, that requires. He says, it's no less, it's never going to be less than 6,000 fires. Not one fire. He didn't drive the car one time, it's one fire, you got to the shul, that's it. One fire, one violation. But I go to the Knesset, uh, cancels it out. People think it, things cancel out. I made a mitzvah because I went to shul. I drove to shul, it's Averah, so it cancels out, I'm even. At least I have my friends and I can eat some chewing for free. Doesn't work like that. Why? He drove to shul 15 minutes. Each moment, there were 6,000 fires. Meaning by the time you arrived to the shul with the nice bends, that the rabbi said you could park right next to the synagogue, what happens? You violated Shabbat somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 400,000 times. That's just to go there. Another four or five hundred thousand times on the way back. Or maybe you want to go to a coffee shop, just in case. Going back home. You go back home. It's another four hundred thousand times. So go in the shul to make this big mitzvah, you violated Shabbat a million times, with a million fires. And that's not including the radio. That's not including the phone, just a navigation system. Chas Shalom. You know, we remember, you know, the, uh, the direction by heart. I don't know directions by heart. So we use navigation. So you press the phone. So you go to the Beknes, you think you're making a mitzvah. No, minyan. I'm part of minyan. They're not going to have a minyan without me. But what we learn here, a Jew that violates Shabbat cannot be counted as part of a minyan. Cannot be counted as part of a minyan. This is a systemic problem for Am Yisrael. Why? Because most of us don't know this. I didn't know this. I used to think before I did tshuva, I said, okay, listen. I remember when I was a kid, I went to religious school. I remember... They told me, you're not allowed to work on Shabbat. So when I made some money, I said, okay, I'm not a religious Jew, so I'm not, but I'm not going to work on Shabbat. I never worked on Shabbat a day in my life. Instead, I'll have fun. I'll relax. What was relaxing to me 10 years ago? Going to a casino, playing poker. That was relaxing to me. To me, playing poker in a casino was relaxing. I didn't realize that that's also not allowed. And it's actually... Also, and I'm adding more sins. And on top of that, every time you win gambling, it's considered stealing. Because the guy that you're winning it from doesn't want to give it to you. So in essence, you're taking it against his will. So now you're not only violating Shabbat with Chilul Hashem, 
being in a place that you're not allowed to be, being in a place that's immodest, but on top of it, you're a thief. So you're having, you're gathering sins and you have no idea. And you're like, no, I'm relaxing, I'm relaxing. <laughs> I'm having a good time. Not a clue, not a clue what's happening. So we have to tell this. So we have to tell this to Ami Slade, all the people go to conservative shuls. Not everybody wants to be a rasha. Not everybody wants to go against Hashem. Some people go to shul because they want to be tzaddikim. They just listen. I'm not at that level of being orthodox. I want to be conservative. They think that there's levels in Judaism. There's no levels. Everything we teach is standard Judaism. is a minimum requirement. We don't teach anything above minimum. We're not allowed to teach anything above minimum. Why? Because at our level, in this generation, where we are, very, very, very few people can handle anything above the average. Very few people. And those people don't go to Shul Torah. They teach. They run kolels. <clears throat> they run yeshivot. The people that can handle humor, they, they handle uh, you know, stringencies. The rest of us, 99.9% of the nation, standard minimum requirement. Don't drive on Shabbat. Don't use your phone. Don't use electricity. If you're going to wash dishes, make sure that the uh, sponge is not a sponge. And it's one of these a um, mesh where the water goes through it and not, uh, you're not squeezing it. So you're not squeezing on Shabbat the water out. You need to learn a lot of these alachot so we don't violate Shabbat. I used to think that, hey, listen, I'm going to make food on Shabbat. I'm not going to cook on Shabbat, but I'm going to make sauce. I used to make uh, tomato sauce. So I'd grind a tomato. This is when I first started keeping Shabbat. I didn't know much. I'd grind a tomato to make sure that's off. On our Shabbat, fresh sauce. Now realizing that grinding is also not allowed. So unless you learn all these things, you're not going to know. You're violating Shabbat, thinking you're keeping it. So not everybody's doing it intentionally. But not learning... And that being the reason that we don't know because we didn't learn turns the unintentional sin into intentional. Which means that we have to put ourselves in a situation where we learn Torah. We must learn Torah. So you have the ability to help people learn Torah. You have a way to arrange a shiur like this. You have a way to bring a rabbi to shul. You have a way to bring a rabbi to a synagogue. You have a way to give out CDs. Get people, get Am Yisrael to become Am Yisrael again. And then last but not least, there's plenty of people that are willing to sacrifice their life to become Jewish. Either because they have, you know, heritage of the Anusim, people that were forced to convert out of Judaism several generations ago, a few hundred years ago even, and they found out, hey, I'm connected to Am Yisrael and I want to be back, so I have to convert. Or people that just discovered that Christianity is complete nonsense and fake. Islam is heresy and fake and nonsense. And the only real religion, the only real divine truth is the Torah. They want to join it. And they want to do everything for it. Sacrifice their life, get divorced, change houses, change cars, change this, change everything. It doesn't matter to them. Why? Because they discovered the truth. Once you discover the truth, you can't go back. You can't go back to, oh, no, no, it's okay, I'm going to stay this way. You can't. You can't undo it. They want to give everything for it. Help them. Help them. Any way you can help them. Bring them to the community. Show them around. Bring them for Shabbat. Say, listen, you're a brand new Jew. You're in the process of your conversion. Let me show you the beauty of Judaism. Let me introduce you to this, to that. Make them welcome. And this brings us to a very big difficulty in our generation because on one end, the Gemara in Masechet Avodah page 4, says that at the end of times, we're going to have an enormous amount of converts. 
A lot of people are going to want to convert to Judaism. But the reality we have today is that most Betins, most of the Betedin, are not following the halacha of how to convert people like it used to be, like it's written in the Shulchan Aruch. In the Shulchan Aruch, the third halacha of conversion, it says, if someone comes to the Betedin, a non-Jew comes to the Betedin, he says, listen, I want to convert, I want to be a Jew. They say, listen, but we're a persecuted nation, everybody's beating us up, killing us. On top of that, in the past, you were able to drive on Shabbat, now you drive on Shabbat, it's going to be the worst possible death, skila, which is stoning. I don't even want to describe what stoning is, people think it's just a few people throwing rocks at somebody. Oh no, it's a much, much more vicious death than that. It's a horrible, horrible situation. On top of that, you were able to eat whatever you want. Now you're not going to be able to eat what you want. Being a Jew is not, it's a big deal. It's not like, you know, you can undo it. Once you become a Jew, there's no turning back. A Jew can never convert to a different religion. He converts 500 times to Christianity, he's still a Jew. Meaning he'll be punished or rewarded as a Jew. But once you become a Jew, you can't undo it. Just tell him, listen, you can't undo all these things. If he says, this is the Shulchan Aruch, if he says, yes, yes, that's the nation, the persecuted nation, that one, that's the one I want to be in. According to Shulchan Aruch, they convert him on the spot. No teaching, no uh, seminars, no, listen, you need to learn this, you need to learn that, nothing, not even Brit Milah. That they do after. Some cases they say they do it within 30 days, some cases they, they do it right before. But nonetheless, the point is that they convert him on the spot, meaning he starts and finishes his conversion within that time frame. There's a machloket of when the Brit Milah happens, whether it's right there and then, and then they convert him, or they do within 30 days. Either way, the point is it happens right there. There's no like four-year wait, or you have to come to my shulim, or you have to send 500 emails, or you have to beg the Bedin, or you have to be like one of my other new students from Arizona tells me, listen, my friend wants to convert, and he went to some rabbi, and the rabbi said, listen, you want to convert? It's $11,000. $11,000, I convert you right away. And then I sh- told him about you, and I showed him uh, the uh, list. There's a list of rabbis that are recognized rabbis. Meaning not every rabbi can convert a person. You can. According to Allah, technically just three Jews. Any three Jews can convert anyone. But that's not the way we work anymore. Why? Because there's a lot of fake converts, unfortunately. There's a lot of people that converted for marriage or for money or for different reasons that are not the, 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 the right reason. So they ha- and also, there's a lot of rabbis that have turned it into a business. Where they just convert people purely for money. Like this guy charging $11,000, $12,000 for converts. There's another place told me they charge for each person $10,000. And another place, $25,000. Pretty much, you want to convert, you want to become a millionaire, convert people for a year, you're a millionaire. And that's in the States, right? It's in the States, it's in uh, Israel, it's in different places. You want to be a millionaire, convert people. Because people want to be Jewish, and they want to do whatever they want. Listen, I'll sell my house to convert. That's what people tell me, I'll sell my house to convert. What, 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 I have a choice, I know the truth now. I know the truth now. What am I going to say? No, no, I'm not going to live the truth because I need my money. I don't care about my money anymore. So I tell them, listen, there's a list of, of 
rabbis that are accepted, that are recognized by the Batedin of Israel. Why is this important? Because if someone converts with a rabbi that's not on the list, and then they want to do Aliyah, they want to go to Israel, want to move to Israel, they want to go to Akolel, they want to join the army, they want to just live there. They go over there, they're like, hey, I'm Jewish. Like, okay, let me see your certificate, your conversion certificate. Let me see, they compare it to the list. Oh, he's not on the list, you're not Jewish. Wow. You're not Jewish, sorry. Now, some people are not going to check. Because they say, listen, I already have money. I don't need the government to help me do Aliyah. <clears throat> so I don't need their assistance. I'm not going to. I don't need the rabbis to recognize me. What do I care if they recognize me? Don't recognize me. I know Hashem recognizes me. Right? I want to be a hero. Hashem recognizes me. That's enough. Here's the problem. Okay, you, for you, it's enough. But you have kids though, right? You have kids. The kids are going to grow up. They're not going to live inside the mother's womb forever. They're going to, one day, they're going to go outside. They're going to want to get married. The little boy is going to be a big boy one day. He wants to get married. He has a girlfriend. Abba, look, I went to Yeshiva. I did this, I did that. I want to get married. Look, this is my girlfriend. This is this, this is that. Shiduch, everything is good. Okay. Oh, sir, you are a convert? Okay, we have to, as part of the background check, to make sure that our daughter is going to marry a Jew. We want to see your certificate of uh, your conversion. They look at the certificate like, oh, it's not on the list. You're not Jewish. Shemachem, our daughter is going with a non-Jew. The Shiva boy is not Jewish. That's what we're going to tell you. Shegitz. Make a whole embarrassment of it. And what happens? Your son's going to hate you forever. Not just in this world. Forever after it also he's going to hate you. For the embarrassment you caused him. Why? Because you want to be a hero. You don't want to, you want to just pick your own rabbi. This is what people need to understand. Listen, there's a system. I know it sucks. I know it's annoying. I know it's a heartache. I know it's a headache. But it's a system. And that's what we have to work with. We work with what we have. Now, Baruch Hashem, there's enough rabbis that don't charge an arm and a leg for conversion. There's enough rabbis that charge a decent amount of money where they can make a living, but at the same token, not bankrupt everyone. There's a decent amount of rabbis that are righteous people that are going to help you convert for the right reasons. But you have to understand, in order for you to truly convert, it's all about siyat dishmaya. It's all about help from Hashem. If you're planning on being a fake Jew, Hashem is going to send you to the fake rabbi. You're a good match. He's fake, you're fake. Perfect, get married maybe. Play poker together on Shabbat. I'm not coming anymore. I keep Shabbat. <laughs> but if you're planning to be a righteous Jew, yes, he may take you to on a big test. Maybe even as big of a test as this Avrech that has a girl with uh, ripped clothes. But eventually you're going to get to the promised land. Eventually you're going to call yourself, I'm one of the chosen. Is there anything better in this world than that? Am Israel was slaves for 210 years. They were in Egypt, 86 years of hard slavery. You want to join the chosen people just because you have a couple of thousand dollars to pay a rabbi? You think it's going to be that easy? Because you like Shabbat, you want to take vacation once a week. Obviously, it's going to take some heartache. Obviously, it's going to take some headache. Obviously, it's going to be difficult. But then you call yourself part of the chosen people. So yes, there are issues, there are problems. And unfortunately, a lot of the problems are created by our own. 
where there's so much politics in it that sometimes it creates Chilul Hashem, where the rabbis that are supposed to be righteous are more wicked than the rabbis that we know are wicked. You see, you see rabbis that convert people, and you know, one person is tzaddik. I'm going to give you a real story of one guy, one guy going through conversion for 10 years. 10 years. Already 10 years ago, he was probably more righteous than most people. He probably knew more Torah 10 years ago than most people. 10 years he's going through conversion. His children, a couple of his children that were born throughout the process, they don't know they're not Jewish. The wife works in a mikveh, but they won't let her dip in. 10 years they're going through conversion. And even at the end of the 10 years conversion and everything else, Baruch Hashem, it's happening as we speak. They're still giving them problems. Yes, you can do it, but you have to leave the house. You have to leave your wife and kids for three months. Why? Let them get married the same day. That's it. Why are you getting it's, it's driving the guy crazy? You know he's married. It's not a rumor. It's not a... Uh, people are making things more difficult than they need to be. If you really cared about al you would have converted them nine years ago. Now all of a sudden you start caring. I have another guy. This is also Baruch Hashem. He's not. This is before they come to me. They go to this hell. Another guy, when he found out the truth, he left Christianity. Then he realized, okay, I have to learn what Hashem said. Where is Hashem? Where did Hashem write? What book did Hashem write? Torah. So he starts learning Torah. He gets to Avraham Avinu. He finds out, oh, Avraham Avinu. I had Brit Milah. I didn't have Brit Milah. So he goes to the doctor and he says, I want to have Brit Milah. Doctor says, this is not covered by your insurance. It's going to cost $15,000. He says, I had $15. But that's what Hashem wants. He goes home, he gives himself Brit Milah. He goes home, he gives himself Brit Milah. Show me one Jew, natural born Jew, that's going to give himself Brit Milah. Me thinking about it, I'm already in pain. Found out the truth, gave himself Brit Milah, like Abraham Avinu. Him, he goes to the Bedin. He goes to the Bedin, like, oh, listen. He learns, he goes, he learns Torah 24 hours a day. He knows Alachot, he knows Sugiot, he knows an immense amount of Torah. Goes to the Bedin, like, yeah, you have to continue coming to classes. Well, let's see, maybe another year or two. What year or two? Convert the guy on the spot. What, what year or two? He already knows more Torah than the entire, the entire kolel. What year or two? But then, another woman who doesn't know anything. Nothing. She knows absolutely nothing. The day before our conversion, she first... For the first time in her life, she found out what there's something called mukze on Shabbat. You know, you cannot let touch a phone even. Not only not let to turn on a phone, not to touch a phone on, on Shabbat. Why? Because if you touch a phone, it's more likely that you'll turn it on and violate Shabbat. You're not allowed to touch a pen. Not because you're really not allowed to touch a pen, because if you touch the pen, maybe you'll pick it up and write. So a certain thing called mukze, it's laws of Shabbat. Which is basic level Judaism. It's like in the beginning we learn about the Alachot of Shabbat. That's what we learn. Modesty, non-existent to her. She never even heard that modesty is a requirement in Judaism. Nothing. She knows nothing. 
She goes to the Bedin because she knows somebody from the Keilah, they convert her on the spot. Explain that to me. If that's not Reshaim, what is? If that's not Reshaim, what is? Bedin like that, I wouldn't go to if you pay me. I wouldn't even go inside the place. So, yes, I know that all this stuff happens. I know it's Chilul Hashem and it's problems and it's this and it's that, but that's what it is. At the end of time, there's going to be a lot of converts. But at the same time, there's also at the end of Masechet Sotat, page 49, it says people are going to hate the truth. Which means we're going to have to go find it, because that's what we need. The truth is going to be hated. They're going to go against rabbis that tell you the truth. They're going to go against rabbis that, like Rav Mizrahi. Every other day there's a different Rasha journalist or Rasha rabbi that talks about him in a negative way. Every day. The guy made more people do tshuva than anybody else in our generation. They talk bad about him. What are you talking bad about him for? You made people do tshuva b'chlal. You made even one person do tshuva. Are you talking bad about him? One person. He makes hundreds of people do tshuva every week. How do I know? I know because I'm in it. I help him. He helps me. I see his emails. He sees mine. I see people like calls, phone calls, text messages. I see it. It's not like I heard it from somebody who told somebody. I'm in it. I'm in the business with him. I see his emails, I see messages, I see all the things, because we help each other, different things, Facebook and all these different things to publicize Torah. Hundreds and hundreds of people doing tshuva every week, every week. These rabbis that are going against us, one person in their life didn't make do tshuva. One person didn't make do tshuva. One. But when I Satan, Satan, Satan is, goes against Kiruv. Why? Because we're stealing his employees. So, so the same Satan is also going to go and influence people that are supposed to be righteous to be wicked. He's going to make the conversion more difficult. He's going to make the tshuva more difficult. He's going to make the, you know, the good things look like they're bad. He's going to make the sweet taste like it's bitter in the beginning. Everything is the opposite. But we have to fight it. We have to fight it. How do we fight it? And this is where we get to our Mishnah. In Mishnah, Pirkei Avot, Tetvav, which is 15, Shammai. You know, we had Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. Last couple of weeks, last couple of years, we learned about what Hillel, who was the Nasi, the president, or the prince, said, and Shammai was his Chavuta. They'd learn. And they'd also debate about everything. So now we hear what Shammai says. Shammai was the Av Beddin. was the head of the Beddin. Shammai Omer, Aset Toratcha Keva, Emor Meat Vaser Be, Veve Mekabelet Kola Adam, Besever Panim Yafot. Shammai says, Make your Torah study a fixed practice, say little and do much, and greet everyone with a pleasant countenance. Okay, so here we see the one liner here is a lot of information. First of all, Who is Shammai? Shammai, aside from being one of the G'dolei Ador, or G'dolei Adorot, every page in Gemara, there's different debates, so on, you see it's Bet Shammai, Bet Hillel, Bet Shammai, Bet Hillel, Bet Shammai, Bet Hillel, always. This is before 1st century, right? Hmm? Before 1st century? Right, right, like a bowl. So first of all, we see, okay, Shammai is a giant. Giant in Torah. They say that Shammai... And Hillel used to get ready for Shabbat already on Sunday. 
already on Sunday, both of them in different ways were getting ready for Shabbat that's coming up. And every day they would buy something and get ready. On Sunday they get something. On Monday they get something else. On two, the whole week they're getting ready just for Shabbat. The whole week revolved just waiting for Shabbat. Not like a Shabbat comes, oh, Shabbat now? <laughs> An hour before Shabbat, we realize it's Shabbat. And then we run, huh? And then we run, then we catch up. Oh, I have to clean, I have to cook. Yeah, Shabbat comes in at 5, it's 420. You have 40 minutes, buddy. Oh, okay, I'll leave work. They're already getting ready on Sunday. That's number one. Shammai also, his name was Shammai because that's actually what was his job. His job was being a Shammai. What's a Shammai? A Shammai is similar to a mix of a consultant, a developer, and an adjuster all at once. Meaning that if they wanted to build a building, they'd, ask, they'd hire Shammai to analyze what would it take. How much cement it needs, how much sand, how much water, how, much, how many employees. He would analyze all of this and give them an analysis of what, uh, what it would take. And also he would measure things. So Shammai this has a full-time job. He's working very hard, but he's also Gdolador at the same time. Only in recent generations did he get to a point where if you want to be a Ben Torah, you learn Torah all day and you don't work. Because we're at such a low level that we can't, you can't be a Talmit Chacham and have a full-time job at the same time. Very, very few could actually handle one of them, let alone both. So it's not the end of the world. But in the old generations, the Gdolei Ador had full-time jobs, businesses and everything. The Ramchal which we learned, uh, Mesilat Yesharim, he wrote several historic books about Musar. He used to be a diamond cutter. So while he was practicing Kabbalah and teaching Kabbalah and teaching all these mystical, amazing things, he also was a diamond cutter. And many of the sages we learned that they all had very serious professions. So this Gdolado, that is also a successful businessman, is telling you first things, is listen, you have a few things to, I have a lot of Torah I can tell you. This is the first thing I want you to learn from me. Make your Torah study a fixed practice. Meaning, he goes, I know you work. I work too. But if you want to have any shot of going to Gan Eden, you want to have any shot of connecting to Hashem, the real Hashem, the Hashem of the Torah, not the elective Hashem that only gives you stuff. People treat Hashem like he's Santa Claus. He just wants them to give us stuff. Give me, give me, give me, give me. We don't get, want to give Hashem anything. We don't want to pray. We don't want to learn. We don't want to do mitzvot. We don't want to do anything. We just want Hashem to give us. We get sick, we remember Hashem. We lose money, we remember Hashem. We have problems, we remember Hashem. But when it's the rest of the year, when everything is good, oh, Hashem, you're there? Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't notice you. He says, I work too. You want to have any chance of connecting to this real Hashem, the Hashem of the Torah, you must make the Torah a fixed practice in your life. Now, what does it mean, keva? Keva, like a fixed practice or a fixture in your life, means several things. Would it be a way of life? Of course it's a way of life, but... There's different parts of how you implement this way of life. Go beyond that. Right, it goes beyond it. So, oh, so first and foremost, 
He tells you, listen, if you're working, if you're if you're a person that works, you're a businessman like most people. They work, they work for this company, that company, their own company, whatever. He says that your work schedule and your work in general can never be the primary focus of your life. Meaning that your work schedule needs to accommodate your Torah schedule. Not the opposite. We think of a mindset, I'm going to make an hour a day of Torah, that I could do it in the morning before work. I'll do a half hour. And a half hour at night. So I have an hour of Torah after work. A half hour before work, half hour after work. An hour before work, an hour after work. We think that we think of work as the central part of our life. Business, central part of our life. Shammai is telling you here, you're looking at it completely the wrong way. You didn't come to the world to work, my friend. You didn't come to the world to be a businessman, please. You didn't come to the world to be a businessman. You came to the world to fulfill the Torah. So you have to start looking at things in a way where your work... Thank you. So you didn't come to the world to work. You came to the world to fulfill the Torah. Which means that your job should cater to your real focus in life, which is Torah. Yes, of course, we all need to work. We all need to make a living. But if you have the type of job that's like the job I used to have, running a Wall Street firm, it's a very consuming business. It's not nine to five. Especially when you work for yourself, you have your own company. It's 24 hours a day. Why? Because you have to know what's going on during the market hours. You have to know what's going on after market hours to prepare for the next day. And now with today's technology, pretty much the market's open 24 hours a day. Because either the domestic market, foreign markets, foreign government, U.S. government, everything. There's 24 hours a day you can find out new news. And you have to digest all of this news and break it down and figure it out. What's going to happen tomorrow and what's going to happen next week. And what's going to everybody becomes a profit in the business. Everybody's a profit. Everybody thinks they know. And then every, everyone's wrong at the end. No one knows what's really what's going on. Everyone's a prophet, but everyone realizes they're all false prophets. But we all get paid for it. But it's a consuming business. Why? Because even if you want to relax, okay, you know what? I'm only going to work 9 to 5. I'm going to go right a half hour before the market opens. I'm going to leave an hour after the market closes. That's it. It's a good job, right? What happens? When the times are good, you're going to try to take advantage of it. You're going to work that extra hour, two hours, or three hours to get that extra client or two so you can take that extra vacation. But let's say you don't. Times are bad one day. At least once every 10 years, there's a breakdown in the market. Everything fails. Everything collapses. Everyone loses. Except the giant conglomerates that somehow always manage to be on top. Now, you want to take a break. You want to go home at 5 o'clock. But all of your hysterical clients, they're calling you at 12 o'clock at night, at 8 o'clock at night, at 1 o'clock in the morning. They don't care about your free time. My portfolio is collapsing, my friend. What can you do? They care less about your little kids. They care less about your free time, your Torah, your this, your that. Why? Because you have control of their money. 
Should we sell? Should we buy? Should we this? Should we that? They cry, they yell, they scream, they this, they that. You become now, instead of a prophet, what do you become? Psychiatrist. But this time you don't get paid. People ask me, how do you know so much about Shalom Bayit and different things and managing people's this? I'm like, I was a psychiatrist for 16 years. In an investment business, you have to be a psychiatrist too. So now, it's a consuming job. If you have one of those jobs, you have to you have to think twice. Is it really worth it? If you really want to fulfill the will of Hashem, it's usually not. And saying that you're going to figure it out, good luck. Maybe you can. Some people have figured it out, but most people can't. There are easier jobs. Not You don't necessarily need to be a millionaire. Or you don't necessarily need to think that that's the only way to be a millionaire. There are millionaires in every job, even simple ones. There are people that make minimum wage in the Q-tip business, and there are people that are billionaires in the Q-tip business. There are people that make minimum wage working for a restaurant, and there are people that are billionaires running restaurants. There's a millionaire and a billionaire in every business, and there's a poor guy earning minimum wage or less in every business. Meaning that Hashem decides on Rosh Hashanah what you're going to get. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer, if you're a stockbroker, if you're an insurance salesman, if you're this, you're that. If Hashem wants you to be rich, it has nothing to do with your profession. According to the Gemara, Masechet Beitzah and Masechet Rosh Hashanah, both of them say, Hashem decides what Panasah you're going to get on Rosh Hashanah. Regardless of how many hours you work, whether you work 40 hours a week, 100 hours a week, a million hours, doesn't make a difference. Meaning that if you have an ounce of emunah in the Hashem that we're talking about, the real Hashem, you're never going to work overtime once in your life. I wish I would have known this. You know how much overtime I worked in my life? It's a very, very hard to put this into practice, but it's possible. Shammai is telling you, the only way to do it is by making the Torah a permanent fixture in your life. Why? If the Torah is something that's a permanent fixture in your life, then you're obviously going to comply with what it says. If you're reading it in order to apply it, then you're going to do the right thing. If you're reading it like it's a history book, you might as well read the history book already. Might as well read Harry Potter. But if you're going to apply it, then they're going to go up to Shemaim. The first question they ask you, when someone goes to Shemaim after 120 or after they get to fulfill their tshuva, did you conduct your business faithfully? Meaning, did you have emunah when you had when you were dealing with business? That's the first question. So they ask, wait a minute. If they're going to ask you if you had emunah in your business, doesn't that mean that business comes first more than Torah? Hazal says, no, no contradiction. Why? If you conducted your business with emunah, if you conducted it with faithfully, that means that you had to have Torah in your life. There's no way that you can have emunah in your business without Torah. Because conducting your business faithfully means you never worked overtime. Because you knew that Hashem is really doing it, not you. Because you knew that Hashem is the one that's bringing the clients, not your Google AdWords. Because you knew 
that Hashem is giving you the wisdom to create this new product or new patent or new this or new that. Not your genius that you learned at Harvard University. It has nothing to do with you. So you're conducting your business faithfully can only be done if you are living Torah. And that's why Shammai is telling you make the Torah a permanent fixture. The second thing he means is that treat Torah like a business. The reason why in our prayers, in the morning prayers, we pray for Hashem to give us the right to deal and be involved in Torah. La'asok comes from the word esek. Esek means business. Asakim, businesses. Why does it say to learn Torah right away? Or it says to have Torah. It says la'asok pa Torah. Because if you treat Torah like you treat your business, you're much more likely to be a millionaire in mitzvot you're much more likely to succeed for eternity. Because in your business, what do you do in your business every day? You look for new customers. Non-stop, you're looking for customers. Customer here, customer here, customer here, customer here. Customer leaves, you want to break the whole store. Customer, you let the customer leave. How could you let the customer leave? She wasn't interested. She wanted to buy paper. We don't even sell paper. We sell you know, screwdrivers. Still sell a screwdriver and tell it's paper. Maybe she's going to need a screwdriver one day. Customer leaves, you want to lose your mind. Wow. <clears throat> You're looking for customers all day. Shammai is telling you, treat the Torah like it's, a, like it's business. Look for mitzvot. Look for opportunities. Help this guy do tshuva. Look for mitzvah. Oh yeah, you know what? I just ate. I should do the la- last blessing. I just came out of the bathroom. Oh, I should have a poster outside the bathroom to remind me to say Asher and even if I remember, maybe somebody else doesn't remember. Wow. I should have an extra nice feeling, not just the ones for a couple hundred dollars because it's the cheapest thing I could buy on eBay. I should make sure that feeling is kosher. Comes from an honorable rabbi with Yirat Shamayim. Because if, if someone that doesn't have Yirat Shamayim, that's not a kosher Jew, writes your feeling doesn't matter if you pay $200 for it or $2 million for it. It's not kosher. It's worthless. If a Mechalel Shabbat writes a Sefer Torah, you can't use it. Burn it. It's worth nothing. Sefer Torah. Sefer Torah falls. If a kosher Sefer Torah falls on the floor, everyone has to fast. Sefer Torah falls. Everyone has to fast. But if a Mechalel Shabbat writes a Sefer Torah, you can burn it. It's worth nothing. They have machines now writing Sifret Torah. Machines. They made a machine to write Sifret Torah. It's not kosher. You can't use it. Someone that writes Sifret Torah, someone that writes your mezuzah, someone that writes your tefillin has to be a kosher Jew with Yirat Shamayim. What are you looking for a discount? You should be excited to find out this tefillin is expensive because it took the guy a year and a half to make them. should be excited the mezuzah is not $12 like it's uh, on, on Amazon or eBay. It's a little more expensive because it's going to protect you inside and outside of the house. 
And by the way, who taught us the minag of kissing the mezuzah? Who taught us? Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah. We learned that Onkelos the convert, he's the one that taught us. Onkelos the convert, when the emperor found out that he converted, the Judaism said, kill him. Bring him to me, I'm going to kill him myself. He sent a few uh, soldiers to the house. They came into the house, they started talking to him. He said a couple of words, they all converted. So he sent said to the next, don't talk to him. Don't let him talk at all. To speed up the story, they come in, they don't talk. They say, you don't talk, you talk, we're going to kill you. They pull him out of the house, and before they pull him out of the house, he kisses the mezuzah. Takes his hand, kisses the mezuzah. He goes, what are you doing? What are you kissing the door for? They couldn't stop themselves. Like, kissing the door. He goes, oh, because your king is protecting you only when you're outside. My king protects me when I'm inside and outside. Who is this guy? Onkelos. Onkelos. All of the commentary you see on Torah is Onkelos. Commentary you see on the Chumash, you see Onkelos. Onkelos, the righteous convert. He was in line to be the next emperor. Wow. He was, instead of being an emperor, he became a Jew. Simple Jew. Look at the reward he got. Why? Because he treated the Torah as the greatest business in the world. He was constantly looking for mitzvot that he treated like a hundred carat flawless diamond. He's looking for mitzvot, looking to kiss the mezuzah. We kiss the mezuzah. Why do we kiss the mezuzah? We're not obligated to kiss the mezuzah. Why do we kiss the mezuzah? Why do we kiss the tefillin? Why do we kiss the sefer Torah? Because we're telling Hashem, we love your mitzvot so much, we, ach, we love them. I'm so excited for the Sefer Torah that you gave me. I'm so excited for this tefillin that I have the right to, to use for six days a week. I'm so excited that you give me this mezuzah, it's going to protect me inside and outside the house. I'm not looking for discounts. I'm excited about it. So Shammai is telling you, deal with the Torah like you deal with your business. Go chase mitzvot. Go make sure that the Torah is something that you're studying, not because you feel like, oh, I'm obligated, I'm this, I'm that. You're excited for it. Just like you're excited for the next customer because he's going to be the one that's going to make you rich. The Torah is the one that's going to get you eternity. And then he says, but if you actually want to do that, you want to succeed. Say little and do much. So this means a couple of things. First and foremost, when it comes to Torah, don't publicize to the world, like, hey, guys, Nice seeing you. I'm going to learn Torah for two hours. Don't publicize it to the world that you're going to learn Torah. Why? Because as soon as you make a statement, there's an audience, but there's an audience that you don't know he's in the room. He's always in the room. His name is Satan. As soon as you say, I'm going to learn Torah for two hours, what does he do? 
He brings all of his soldiers. He says, okay, we're going to do everything we can to make sure he doesn't get there. Make sure that we give him every distraction. We send a girlfriend from 20 years ago. We send a client that all of a sudden wants to buy. We're going to send this. We're going to send that. We're going to do everything we possibly can to make sure he doesn't show up to the Shul Torah. You're not going to, you publicize you're going to Shul Torah. Your audience, Satan himself, is there. I'm sorry, my friend. You've been working for me for 30 years. All of a sudden you want to do tshuva. You crazy? You want to go work for Hashem? No way. I'm going to send you the girlfriend. I'm going to send you the kids. I'm going to send you the problems. I'm going to send you the flat tire. I'm going to send you this. I'm going to even do everything. Everything. If he was allowed, he would have show you, show you himself. To scare you to death. If he was permitted from Hashem to do it. Just to make sure you don't go learn Torah. So you go learn Torah? Shh, quiet. Somebody asks you, where are you going? I'm going to meet some friends. Technically, you are. You're not lying. You don't lie. You are going to meet some friends because there's going to be other people there. You're friendly with them. Go to meet some friends. You want to come? What are you guys going to do? Just come. It's friendly. It's nice. Next thing you know, you have 18 people with you coming to Shio Torah. <laughs> hey, I thought you were going to have friends. I'm like, it's my friends. <laughs> Look, there's waters, iced teas, delicious every week. <laughs> nice people. What's better than this? Oh, I thought we were going to watch the game. Okay, the game after. Learn Torah first. It's only a little while. How long? It's a little while. Two hours later, oh, I thought it was only a little while. Yeah, two hours is only a little while. You live 24 hours a day. Two hours, what is it? Not even 10%. Be clever. Don't announce to the world, I'm going to shoot Torah. I have shoot Torah every Wednesday. I have shoot Torah every Tuesday. I have this, I have that. Don't announce anything to the world. Quiet. Say little. And then when you get there, you do much. When you get there... Don't joke around, do nothing. Okay, let's hang out, let's do this, let's do that. By the time you get to the Torah, really, you were there for four hours, you learned Torah for 15 minutes. That's what happens sometimes. People organize Shul Torah. And I know the rabbis mean well. They organize, for, especially for teenagers. In today's world, unfortunately, it's very, very difficult to entice teenagers to come learn Torah. They have no interest whatsoever. They think they know everything already. Even before they know what to, how to spell the word Torah, they already think they know what's in the Torah. On top of that, there's no iPhones. In, uh, Moses, Moses didn't have an iPhone in the desert, so they're not interested in him either. <laughs> Steve Jobs is not a character in the Chumash, so they're not interested in that either. And the Torah only obligates you, so they're not really interested. It's hard to get them to come. If they're secular, if they're religious, they're saying, listen, if we're religious, we already learned enough Torah in school. What am I going to learn more Torah? After school, let me live. Let me play basketball. Let me watch basketball. Let me go do this. Let me go do that. It's hard. It's hard to get them. So what some rabbis are clever, what they try to do, they try to entice people. What do you entice Jews with? Food. Entice them with food. You make food. You make sushi, shawarma, this, that. You make a bunch of food. Come, come, eat food. Have drinks. Smoke hookah. Do all these things, have fun, and then they throw somebody like me in there to teach them some Torah. Baruch Hashem, some do it successfully. They get some of these people to eat a little bit, enjoy, enjoy the thing, but then they actually get the Torah. But some forget the Torah. They go there, they're there for four hours. Four hours they're eating, drinking, laughing, this, that. Last five minutes, oh, by the way, guys, let's learn Torah. Five minutes to offer four hours of food. You gotta make the Torah the, the key part. 
Yes, I know everyone's trying to be clever just to get them in there, but come on. It has to be fair. Can't spend four hours eating food, chewing, drinking this, that, and the other thing, and there's two minutes of Torah. Gotta actually teach them Torah. And especially, we have in some cases where the kids are so uninterested that even when you get to the Torah, they're not really listening. They're just joking around. And no one tells them anything because no one wants to insult them. No one wants to hurt their feelings. Listen. You're giving them food. You're investing money. You're investing time. The least you could uh, you know, ask from people is decency. Be quiet for the next hour. Be quiet. Just listen to what I'm saying. What's the worst going to happen? You're going to do tshuva. What's going to happen? Listen to Torah. Have some, some respect. This is why in a shiur that I had in uh, the Bressel Center in Aventura, and anyone that watched it was like uh, first, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes, you hear a lot of noise in the background. All young kids, all teenagers. Teenagers, 20-year-olds. And you hear a lot of noise in the background. And eventually, after about a half hour or so, I stop. And I tell them, okay, are you guys going to continue laughing and making this a joke? We're going to actually learn here. Because you're not paying me. I'm not doing this for, for, you know, it's not like I work here. I'm doing you a favor. I'm teaching you Torah to give you meaning meaning to your life. But I don't have to be here. Everyone was shocked. They never heard such a thing. Like as if I told them I'm Moses. (laughs) First time they heard somebody tell them they're not doing something good. And you would think, you know, why didn't why didn't anybody ever tell them this? Because everyone's always scared the kids are going to run away if you yell at them. What ended up happening? <clears throat> All of them, every single one of them, stopped, started paying attention, and we went on for the next three and a half hours. They didn't want to let me leave. All of them came. They came closer. Enough with the food. Enough with the jokes. All of them like, okay, this guy's serious. Okay, what do you have to say? Start asking questions, debates, da, da, da. Three and a half hours, they asked, they didn't want me to leave. Because finally somebody stood up and he's like, hey, listen, enough's enough. So many people are so scared of uh, offending people and hurting people and this. What happens? The kids take advantage of it. Treat them like an adult. Tell them they need to be adults. Tell them you're an adult. Treat them like you're supposed, they're supposed to be treated. That's it. I'm not telling you beat them up. But don't let them walk all over you. Just because you're a rabbi, just because you have a beard, just because you're supposed to represent Torah. No one, no one in the Torah said that it's a mitzvah to let people walk on top of you. So when you're going and you're doing these mitzvot, any mitzvah, whether it's learning Torah... Or it's going to do chesed, you're going to donate money, you're going to do all these things. He says, speak little and do much. This is a common problem today with people that want to do a lot. Oh Hashem, Am Yisrael, one of the requirements of being a Jew, how we know that someone is the one of the descendants of Avraham Avinu, is when they're generous. Generous people, Am Yisrael, generally, if you look statistically... As far as donations, even whether secular or religious, doesn't matter. The biggest donators in the world are Am Yisrael, are Jews. The universities, the hospitals, and even things that are anti-Hashem, they're still, they're donated by Jews. 
We're very generous people. Unfortunately, when it comes to Kiruv, when it comes to actually helping people do tshuva, everyone wants to do it, but they forget. Or it's not convenient. Or for this, they don't have money. Or for this, this. The Satan is going to do everything he possibly can to make sure you don't do Kiruv. To make sure you don't help other Jews do tshuva. Why? Because it's the biggest possible thing you can do. We had a whole shiur in California about it and several other shiurim about it of the, the significance of Kiruv. Anyone that wants to. Mamash, like 100% this is proven, correct, with evidence and witnesses. You want miracles in your life? Get involved with Kiruv on a regular basis. Sometimes the miracles happen right away. Sometimes they take time, but they happen. I've seen it with my own life. I've seen it with my students. I've seen it with my helpers. It's unbelievable. Someone wants to have miracles in their life, whether it's refuash lema, or they want to have a career, a better career, or panasa, or zivug, or anything, anything. Nothing is beyond Hashem. The most convincing argument you can give him is saving his kids. And this is what I said before. What are you doing for Hashem? Learning to is for you. Mitzvot is for you. Getting married is for you. Having kids is for you. Everything is for you. What's for Hashem? Bring back his kids. Bring him home. Bring him home. They don't know what Hashem is. They don't believe in him. They think we all came from some explosion. They think we all came from some monkey. How come the monkey's still here then? If we all came from monkeys, why is the monkey still here? Why didn't he evolve also, Miskin? People think we came from monkeys, from lizards, from fish, everything but Hashem. They think some, uh, you know, some guy that was a Jew, he gave us a get out of jail free card. We don't have to do anything anymore. They call that Christianity. We think some illiterate discovered God in the middle of the desert. And he says, okay, you have to pray five times a day and then beat up your wife. They call that Islam. They think some fat guy with no clothes on says, you don't have to do anything. Just say, mm-hmm, and that's it. Everything is fine. Meditate. Keep all the anger inside. They call that Buddha or Buddhism. Everything but Hashem. Everything but Torah. By the way, you know how he died, no? Hmm? How did he die? No, I don't know how he died. I do. How? In the English encyclopedia, uh, uh, it said that he poisoned himself eating some uh, poison uh, mushrooms. That's how he died. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so Am Israel and and the people around the world, seven and a half billion people are doing everything but the truth. Everything but Torah. So when you bring back another child of Hashem back to him, you know how excited he is? He's been looking for him for twenty years, thirty years, forty years. Just in this world, not considering the fact that he's been here already three or four Gilguim, reincarnations. Hundreds of years Hashem is waiting for him to do tshuva. Finally you bring him, you give him a CD that costs one dollar. Give him a CD, the guy started keeping Shabbat. You know how excited Hashem is for that? You send him a link for free on Facebook, on YouTube, on this one, on that one. The guy started keeping Shabbat, started keeping Talat Mishpacha. You know how excited Hashem is about that? Why wouldn't he give you a miracle? You saved this kid, he's waiting for him for 500 years. But what happens when it comes to Kiruv? All of a sudden, bills, all of a sudden, 
accidents, all of a sudden responsibilities, all of a sudden I'm busy, all of a sudden everything in the world's happening to get in the way of your kiruv. You had $5,000 ready for, uh, I mean, you have $5,000 ready for tzedakah, what do you do? You get $50 for kiruv, 40, 40, uh, $950 for Hanukkah party. Who's going to do tshuva from the Hanukkah party? Who's going to do tshuva from the Hanukkah party? You have $10,000 to donate, $9,900 is going to a pouring party, $90 to buy some book that you're never going to read, and $10 you're going to give CDs. Oh, 10 CDs, 10 CDs. Like you're doing a favor. Why? Because Satan is going to convince you to do everything but save the children of Hashem. The only way to have the schut, the merit, to do kiruv, is to listen to Shammai. Make the Torah your business. Be involved in it. Be involved in the business of saving Jews. If you have money, make sure that's the number one thing. You don't have money, find time. There's 24 hours in a day. Hashem gave you a box of 24 delicious chocolates. Yes, you give me one. Give me one chocolate. 24 he gave you. Give me one chocolate. You're going to say, no. Is that greedy? One chocolate he's asking for. Take one hour. Invest it in Ta'am Yisrael. One chocolate. But don't like eat half of it and give it to him. Okay, it's like a half hour. It's like Kiruv, but... At the same time, you're also like watching sports in the background. It's Torah, but in reality, you're listening to music at the same time. No, I like to listen to music when I study about Moshe Rabbeinu. That's like an Eden chocolate. No one wants an Eden chocolate. Give him the one with the wrapper on still. Brand new. In the box. He gave you 24. Make it your business. Make it your business to do tshuva and to help others do tshuva. And also, by the way... When you help others do tshuva, your tshuva becomes easy. All of a sudden, you want to keep Shabbat. You've been suffering with your Shabbat since you started keeping Shabbat for six months. All of a sudden, you help your friend do tshuva. All of a sudden, you want to keep Shabbat. Nothing changed in your life. But all of a sudden, the Yetzirah got weaker. Just cut off two of his legs. All of a sudden, it doesn't bother you anymore not to use your phone on Shabbat. All of a sudden, you want to wake up in the morning to go to Beknesset. All of a sudden, your Yetzirah is getting smaller when it was a giant a month ago before you helped the guy do tshuva. Your tshuva becomes easier. You have problems overcoming a certain sin, help somebody else overcome it. A lot of the guys that tell me, listen, I have problems with wasting seed. Unfortunately, there's many, many, many guys that have this problem. I tell them the best thing you can do, aside from learning Torah with serious, serious atmada, focus and so on. Aside from learning Torah, do kiruv. Why? You help other kids stop wasting seed by publicizing the shiur about wasting seed, your Yetzirah is going to die. All of Am Yisrael is connected. You help somebody else beat their Yetzirah, Hashem is going to fight for you. Because in reality, the Torah already told us we can't beat the Yetzirah. The Gemara actually outright says it in Masechet Brachot. The Yetzirah is so big, so powerful, so, so strong, so wise, so old. We can't beat him. We can't. 
always there. Right? He's always there. He never leaves. Works 24 hours a day. As a matter of fact, I learned something very scary from Rabbi Ephraim one time. Hashem, everything that He created, He created an equal or an opposite to it. So for example, Moshe Rabbeinu, the prophet of the Jews, Bilam, the wicked prophet of the, of the Gentiles. Black, white, tall, short, fat, skinny, and so on. But just like Hashem has the Kisya Kavod, the throne of glory, He created the same throne of glory for the Satan. And the Satan has many workers that do his will. And all of these workers are our own creations. Because every time, according to Gemara, every time somebody makes a mitzvah, they create an angel. Every time somebody makes a sin, they create a demon. Where are these demons? They're right next to us. The Gemara says that if we actually saw what's really next to us, we'd go crazy. There was a way one of the sages actually did it. There's a way to actually find out what's next to you, seeing all these things, and he actually almost went crazy. Anyway, each time we create a, we make a sin, we make a demon, this demon is going to overcome us. He's going to try to influence us to make more demons. Just like the, if we make a mitzvah, the, the, the angel is going to influence us to make more mitzvot. So for a lot of the sins that we make is really because of previous sins we've made and we're constantly giving more power to the evil angels, to the demons. Making our life much more difficult when it comes to true life. You made a lot of sins. But in general, all of this is from the employees of the Satan. But there are certain times the Satan himself gets off the chair. Himself. Himself he gets off the chair. One of those conditions is if you start recruiting his employees by doing Kiruv. You start doing Kiruv, Satan's going to get off the chair himself to go meet you. He's going to send you the ex-girlfriend. He's going to send you the customer. He'll give you money. He'll give you millions of dollars. Just don't do Kiruv. Just don't go learn Torah. He himself is going to get off the throne of glory that he has to go stop you from doing Kiruv. So it's a big deal. Only way to beat this, God already told us, First, say Kriyat Shema. Say Shema Yisrael. Remember, there's a God. Second, learn Torah. What Shema is telling us over here. Make Torah your business. Make it something that you're constantly involved in. Your day is... Everything revolves around Torah. Not Torah has to fit in somewhere. Get to a point where Torah is the focus. Everything else is extra. And last but not least... He says, remind them of the day he's going to die. That's what the Gemara Masech Barchot says. Why remind them of the day he's going to die? Because if you think about, listen, one day this world ends. Not that Hashem wants us to be depressed, but rather Hashem wants us to focus on the prize. Meaning that we know that one day we're going to have to pay the bill for the sins we're making or get the reward for the mitzvahs that we're making. If we're constantly involved in mitzvot, if we're constantly involved in doing kiruv, if we're constantly involved in doing good things, who's better than us? 
in the book of Samuel, Samuel 1, first verse, it says, Vayish Echad, there was a certain man from Ramathian Zophin, from Mount Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Yeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tahu. So who is, El- who is this Elkanah? Elkanah, I heard in a... Uh, Share with uh, Rabbi Ephraim today. We learned together about Hashem. Give us amazing chidush. Elkanah was Samuel's father. The Gemara says, "Okay, what's this?" The Gemara says that Samuel and his generation. <coughs> was the weight as far as his, his prophecy, his righteousness, and so on, like Moshe and Aaron. Now we already know that Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem face to face, the only one, the greatest of all prophets, the prophet of prophets, humblest man that ever lived, Moshe Avdi, Moses my servant, he's the only one that Hashem specifically called him my servant. Well, the first one, I mean, uh, endless compliments from Hashem himself about Moshe Rabbeinu. Aaron was also first Kohen. Everyone that's a Kohen is descendants of Aaron. Greatest of great. And here we have Chazal telling us that Samuel, Shmuel, was like both of them. Needless to say, if Shmuel is great, who's his father? Here in the first verse of the book of Samuel, it says, who's his father? Elkanah. What did his father do to merit having such an amazing son? It's not just uh, he got lucky. His son went to a good yeshiva and had a nice rabbi with good stories and uh, great musar. You don't get a son like that. You don't get Moses to be your son just because you're a nice guy. What did Elkanah do to deserve the merit of having Shmuel as his son? But the Gemara says it's like Moshe Rabbeinu Naaron. It says that Elkanah was sort of like a publicist. A publicist for what? To convince and entice his entire generation to go to Shiloh and worship Hashem. And every year he would go there four times, three during the holidays, and one extra that he took upon himself. And every year he would go there in a different direction. And he would publicize this event each time. Each time he would go there, four times a year, he would publicize it on the road that he's going, making signs, going door to door, come with me to Shiloh, Hashem, this, to the point where his entire generation went to Shiloh with him. The ultimate Kiruv publicist in history. He got the entire nation to go to Shiloh. 
to go worship Hashem, to go pray, to go do tshuva. Entire generation, Hashem says, entire generation of my children came to see me because of you. I'm going to give you a son that's greater than great. You want miracles? You want miracle children? You want miracle life? Do Kiruv. But you can't do it occasionally here and there once a month. You have to constantly be involved in it. Constantly. I know that not everybody's in the business of doing Kiruv. I know that not everybody has time to go on the internet all day and publicize it. But just make it your business. Always have a few CDs to give to whoever is, is available. Always have a lecture in mind that, hey, listen, I listened to this lecture. Automatically, as soon as you finish a lecture, share it. It wasn't going to take you an extra two minutes. You watched a two-hour lecture, three-hour lecture, an hour lecture, whatever you watched. It's going to take you another two minutes to share it with a few people. It's not your business if they watch or not. It's your business to spread it. Hashem is rewarding you for the effort, not for the execution. Why? Because the execution is not your business. It has nothing to do with you. The execution of what actually is an outcome of all of this is in His hands. It's in Hashem's hands. Whether you make money or not is not up to you. A lot of people work hard. Not everybody's a millionaire. Plenty of people out there work harder than anyone else and they make a dollar a day in China. A dollar a day. Or in India. One dollar a day they live on. They work harder than any American in the world. One dollar a day. So hard work doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a millionaire, you're going to be successful. The beauty of Torah is that Hashem pays you for the work. Not for the outcome. Outcome is in His hands. So you getting involved in Kiruv on a regular basis, you watch a lecture, you spread it. You constantly set up, okay, you know what, can I get a few friends, religious, not religious, keep, don't keep, wicked, righteous, doesn't matter, can I get a few friends together to get a rabbi to come give a lecture or make them watch a lecture together at my house? Get a few people, give a few CDs, spread out on, on the internet. Whatever you can do. Something every day. Something every day. Make it your business. Because it's also going to help you with the first problem, which is learning Torah. When we first start learning Torah, it's bitter in the beginning. It's hard. We're used to the business. We're used to reading financial statements and weather reports. Tell the guy, learn about Moshe Rabbeinu. He's like, ah, Moshe Rabbeinu again. Didn't we learn about him last year already? Again, Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, we know he was born, baby, this, that. Again, I have to learn about him. Yes, again. Why? Because this year it's going to be different. This year you're going to learn something new from Moshe Rabbeinu. The same baby that became Moshe Rabbeinu, you're going to learn something different. This year, Avraham Avinu, the same story, he's going to teach you something different. Every year something different. And then when you do that, then you do Gemara, then you do Mishnah, then you do all of these things. Torah never ends. It's constant lessons. We can have the same shiur, the same Mishnah, five million times. Not five times, five million times, and every time it's going to be new. Every time, we won't even have to repeat the same word twice, or the same story twice. That's how much there is in Torah. But in the beginning, when you first start learning, it's hard, it's bitter, it's difficult, it's beyond you. You have Yetzirah, you have the girlfriend, you have the boyfriend, you have the sports, you have this, you have that, you have the stock report, you have everything else, you have the Satan himself came and sitting next to you, scaring you. 
How are you going to overcome all this? Hashem says, number one, say Kriyat Shema. Number two, learn Torah. Number three, remind yourself of the day you're going to die. But if you have a hard time, you have a hard time even getting to the point of saying Kriyat Shema, you have a hard time of even learning Torah, you have a hard time even thinking about death because you're not a morbid person, you don't want to be negative, you don't want to be this, you don't want to be that. Okay, fine. Go up another guy. Do some tshuva. Give him a CD. Invite him to study with you. Study with him, Chavuta. Already things are going to become easier. Already things are going to be easier. And on top of it, you get rewarded for both. Every mitzvah he ever makes, or she makes, goes to your account also. That's the mercy of Hashem. That's the graciousness of Hashem. And that's what Shammai is telling us here. As the last part, he says, And greet everyone with a pleasant countenance. Now, anyone that knows the debates between Shammai and Hillel, or Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel, they know that Shammai is known, and Bet Shammai in general, are known as the more stringent, more difficult, more strict house of Torah. Hillel seems like it's calmer, demeanor, nicer, Flexible. More flexible, more lenient. So here we're seeing this businessman slash gdolado telling us, learn Torah, make it your business, say little, do much, all wonderful things, but then all sound like either Shbet or Bet but then he says something completely off. Make sure you greet everyone with a smile. Hillel said that, makes sense. That's Hillel. Shammai is saying it with a smile. If you read in the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 30, it says three different, con- three different goyim came to Shammai to convert. The first one comes to him, knocks on his door. says, I want to convert to Judaism. How many Torahs do you have? He says, we have two. We have the oral Torah and we have the written Torah. He goes, okay, I don't want to believe this oral Torah. I just want to learn the written Torah. So I want to learn a written Torah, and I want you to convert me based on only me keeping the written Torah, like the Karaites, or the Reform. I want to do that. Shammai kicked him out with not even a question. No, no, you should do, you should this, nothing, no argument. Threw him out. Shortly later, another guy comes in. He says to him, I want to learn the Torah. But I want to learn the entire Torah on one foot. On one foot. I want to stand on one foot. And teach me the Torah, meaning in a simple way. Shammai says, one second. He goes, he brings the measuring stick that he has for his job, for his business. He starts beating him up with it and kicks him out of the house. <laughs> you and your one foot... And then the third one comes in. Says, listen, I heard you guys are accepting converts. I want to be a Kohen Gadol. Guy is not even a Jew, but he already wants to be a Kohen Gadol. Because I want to convert right now, and I want to also, I want you to help me get measured for the clothes for the Kohen Gadol. 
He's like, hold on one second, let me get the stick again. And he kicks him out also. So we hear from the stories of Bet Shammai. Tough cookie. Tough. All three, by the way, all three went to Bet Hillel and he converted all of them. And they all became big tzaddikim. The shita of Hillel worked. Shita of Shammai didn't work for those three. But why does the Gemara says that in reality, in many cases, even though Shammai is more strict, and even though most of the time the Alakha goes as Hillel, the more lenient option, they say in the next world, in Olam Abba, the Alakha is going to be like Shammai. Not like Hillel. The more strict it's going to be like. Shammai is right all along. In reality, Shammai is right. Exactly because of this. Shammai says, listen. You, as a righteous Jew, as a righteous Noahide, as a righteous person that loves Hashem, you always have to welcome everyone with a smile. As long as you know they're serious. As long as they're not making fun of the Torah. As long as you know that they have the good intentions. But the minute the Torah is being shamed, the minute someone is mocking the Torah like wanting to learn it on one foot or wanting to become a Kohen Gadol when before they even know what Torah is Bechlal, saying that one Torah is not good, the other one is good, like the conservative and the reform, that's what they say, they only want to learn one Torah. The reform, they don't even want to learn the one Torah because now we've gone to the point where they give bar mitzvahs to dogs. And a conservative, slowly but surely, are following suit. This is why, according to our Torah, if someone did a, a conservative conversion, they won't be counted in Israel, won't be counted as part of Am Yisrael. Why? Because even though the process itself is the same, you go in front of three judges, they ask you questions, you answer the questions, you finish the questions, you go to the mikveh, you go into the mikveh, you dip in the mikveh, you come out, hallelujah, you're a Jew. According to Allah, you're not a Jew. Why? Because the judges are not considered agunim, are not considered fair people, because they create different laws or modify the Torah. They say you can listen to this, but not to this. Say so you can keep kosher, but only in the house. You don't have to do it outside. You could keep Shabbat, but as long as you keep coming to Bikneset, even if you have to drive. They modify the Torah. When someone modifies the Torah, they're no longer reliable. You can't, it doesn't matter. They can know the whole Torah by heart or they think they know it. If someone doesn't have Yirat Shamayim enough to listen to the Torah and know that they have to minimize themselves in front of our sages, in front of our Almighty, to know that we're nothing, we're nothing in comparison to everyone that came before us, even just one generation ago. <coughs> can't listen to them so even though the process is the same in reality it's not about the process in reality Judaism and the mitzvot is not about the mitzvot it's not about you laying tefillin it's not about you eating kosher or not kosher you really think Hashem cares if you eat a bird or you eat a chazir or you eat this one or you eat that one you think He cares if you eat the cow or you eat the, uh, the pig or you eat the horse. Do you think he cares? 
You think Hashem cares if you drive or you don't drive on Shabbat? Like it changes him. He's perfect. It doesn't change him. He doesn't benefit out of it. The whole purpose of all of the mitzvot is to connect to him. To connect to him by following the instructions that he gave you. By giving him the respect he deserves and you're obligated to give. That's the point of all of the mitzvot. The reason we have all 620 mitzvot, 613 biblical and 7 rabbinical. Total 620 mitzvot. The reason why we have them is not because Hashem needs you to do the mitzvot. Is because that's what he created you for. And in order for you to connect to him, you do it through the mitzvot. In order to occupy your mind with Torah, you have to do the mitzvot. Because if you just read Torah like it's just for scholarly reasons, you want to be a scholar, you want to go on the history channel and tell people what happened 3,000 years ago, that's not connecting to Hashem. That's just reading a book and saying what it says. You're not special. But connecting to the Almighty 24 hours a day by minimizing yourself and re- realizing that you're a servant of Hashem. Realizing that the only reason you exist is because of Hashem. Making yourself a vessel of His Torah by publicizing His Torah. Making yourself a servant of Hashem. By constantly doing His will and eliminating your own opinion. That's what makes you special. The more you minimize yourself in front of Hashem, the bigger you are to Him. But the way you have to do it is by doing the mitzvot. You can't say, I love Hashem, but go against Him at the same time. You're just like your kids can say, Abba, Ima, we love you, but at the same time, they destroy your house every day, even though you told them not to. Abba, Ima, I love you, but they rob your bank account. Abba, Ima, I love you, but they lock you out of the house, just because they think it's funny. Do me a favor, don't love me, just don't lock me out of the house. Don't talk to me that way. Have some respect. Have some decency. He gave you and He's giving you everything. And the only reason why you exist is to connect to Him. That's what the mitzvot is for. It's not, you're not being put into this world to be a robot when you go to Bet Knesset, three seconds praying, and already you're out. Oh, I prayed Mincha, I prayed Mincha, I prayed Alvid, I prayed this, I prayed that. Do you even know? Was your head there, Bechlam? Did you pray or did you just say a bunch of words just thinking about the business deal you have to do? Three hours we eat. First course, second course, f- fourth course, fifth course. Fish, meat, chicken, this, salads, chocolates, parving, meat, whatever. We eat three hours we're eating. But cut them on 30 seconds. Finished. Three hours you're eating, you can't spend two minutes actually saying Hashem's name the right way? You're chewing for three hours, you can't use that same mouth that's been chewing for three hours to say, but cut them as like a human being? 
say it out loud, make sure everybody says Amen. You can't thank the Almighty for giving you the five-course meal for three minutes, four minutes. Most people, Baruch Hashem, live to have the privilege of not being sick to the point of not being able to go to the bathroom. We don't realize how much of a privilege it is to go to the bathroom. We don't realize. We go to the bathroom like it's supposed to be. The body's supposed to work that way. Like some idiot told me one day, you know, the body is so inefficient. Oh yeah? Let me see the next time you're constipated. Tell me how inefficient it is. Let me see the next time that you can't go to the bathroom for four days. Tell me how inefficient the, the, the body is. Let me see the next time that you see blurry vision you can't see. Tell me how inefficient the body is. Let me see the next time you find that you have cancer. And there's a cell that's growing for absolutely no reason whatsoever inside your body and killing everything in sight. Tell me what happens. Tell me how inefficient the body is. Some guy inefficient. We go to the bathroom. Everything is fine. Everything works. We're thinking no big deal. You say Hashem Yatzam. You thank Hashem for letting everything work for all the pipes. Everything is working. Everything came in. Everything came out. It doesn't matter if it's ice cream or if it's steak or if it's burgers or if it's shawarma or if it's everything turned into blood. Who told it to turn into blood? Everything turned into blood. Whatever didn't turn into blood came out of the body. Whatever can be used to make you better, to make you healthier, stayed in. Whatever is not good came out. Perfectly efficient machine. And you think it's supposed to be that way. You come out of the bathroom, you forgot about God. It's supposed to be. Take it for you do Hashem Yatzam. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do have Hashem Not even one second. Yeah, Hashem Yatzam finished. Well, you can't think about it for a second. Why are you doing Hashem Yatzam? You're playing with your phone. You're looking at the stock portfolio. You're watching TV. 20 seconds it takes to say Hashem Yatzam. Say it like a human being. Say it like, a, like someone that loves Hashem, that's appreciating the fact that your body worked. You chewed for three hours. You can't say Birkat Amazon with some Kavanah. That's the thing that we have. We take a lot of things for granted. And it all starts when we don't take the Torah seriously. When you have leadership in places like conservative and reform shuls, where they tell you it's okay to modify the Torah. And we're ignorant. We don't know enough to know if it's right, if it's wrong. They're rabbis. They're rabbinites. They're this. They're that. That's why the Torah says, with them, you kick them out, you beat them up with a stick. Just like Shammai did. Why? Because they're going against the Torah. Their conversions don't count. Their Shabbat don't count. Their mitzvot don't count. Their prayers are not even heard. As a matter of fact, when one of them says Kaddish, you're not even allowed to say Amen. Someone violates Shabbat, says Kaddish, you're not allowed to say Amen. That's how bad it is, according to the Torah of, of, of Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Because they modified, they had the nerve to modify the Torah. Something perfect, you don't modify if you modify it, it makes you look like, and what you're saying is, that you think you're better. That you're divine. That it's subject to 
translation. And this is why now we're continuing to evolve as we are at the end of times. Hashem told us that we're going to have a lot of converts. A lot of people are going to become righteous Jews. A lot of people are going to do tshuva. But he also says they're also going to have a big war. Part of that war, when a Mashiach comes, will be from the Erev Rav. Erev Rav are wicked Jews. We've already had problems with since Mount Sinai. But how are we going to know who's the Erev Rav and who's the Rav? Because sometimes the Erev Rav has a beard and a hat also. It's not just conservative and reform. Sometimes it's orthodox also. How are we going to know? First and foremost, easiest way, easiest way, is we see who followed this Mishnah. Who made Torah a permanent fixture within their life as it is, not as they customize it to be. As we got it from Mount Sinai. Not as we cut off this piece, cut off that piece. No, the skirt's too long, let's make it shorter. No, the scarf and the head is not nice anymore, let's put a wig. Oh, you know what, even the wig is not good enough, let's make it a long wig. Oh, the kosher, eh, it doesn't have to do this, doesn't have to do that. The ones that are modifying the Torah... You already know that's much more likely to be the Erev Rav. But aside from that, Hashem is actually having mercy on us. And the ones that have pretty much no connection whatsoever to Hashem, He's making it more obvious. Just like when Hashem allowed Christianity to be born, initially the original Christians from 2,000 years ago were very similar to Jews. Some of them were actually Jews. They were much more religious than the Christians of today. But a few hundred years later, the sages implemented a plan and it told one of the sages, go start a new version of Christianity and make it so different from our religion, that it's obvious. Everything that we're not allowed to do, do. Catholicism was born. They turned idol worship into an everyday thing. They have saints, different strange holidays, different weird things, things that are completely obviously anti Torah. This is happening again now, 2,000 years later. The reform are now becoming humanists. Humanists, they call themselves, many of them. And the humanists have a new rule. No more brit milah. No more circumcision. Why? It's not fair. We're not accepting humans as they're born. We're saying to them that they're not good enough. 
by cutting a piece of them. They're good enough as they are. We don't want to offend the little eight-day-old baby. Stupid idiots like the baby remembers Bichlal. He's going to remember when one day he wants to be a Jew, wants to marry a Jew, and he doesn't have a circumcision. He's going to remember you then. We don't want to offend the baby and tell him that he's not good enough and give him a circumcision. He's perfect as he is. No more circumcision. We don't want to offend the dog. Why wouldn't the dog get a bar mitzvah? Let's put tefillin on him too. We don't want to offend the women. Let's make them rabbis also. Why not? We don't want to offend anyone. Everyone is good. Everyone gets a trophy. First place gets a trophy. 80th place gets a trophy. Everyone wins. Everyone's a winner. Which is the opposite of reality. Because in reality, most people are not winners. In real life, most people do not win. But Hashem is separating them to make it obvious. To give us a choice. Which side are you on? You're either with the humanists and no, no circumcision and the dog bar mitzvahs and the fake conversions and the fake tefillah and the fake everything or you're 100%. You're going to have to make a choice. Either Torah is real or it's fake. It's either 100% real or it's fake with 99% truth. But it's still, it's still fake. It's either true or it's false. You have to make a choice. Hashem is making it easy for us. Because the Rashaim and the Reform and the Conservative and the Humanist and the Restructionist and whatever other names they have every other day, He's making it obvious. And even the Orthodox that call themselves real, but in reality they're just Haman in disguise, He's making you see them also. Why? Because they're the ones that are signing letters against Kiruv. They're the ones that are taking CDs to help people do tshuva instead of giving it to people to do tshuva, instead of supporting, bringing the rabbi to help people do tshuva, publicizing it, or at the very least being quiet and not getting in the way. What do they do? They take the CDs, they break them. They throw them in the garbage. They publicize a bad name against the rabbi. Because chas v'shalom, someone will tell the keilah the truth and help people do tshuva. So if you're looking for the truth... It says in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, if you look for me, you'll find me. If you look for me with all of your heart and all of your soul. If you're looking for Hashem, you're looking for the truth, Hashem is making it easy for you. Don't come to me when the Mashiach comes and say, oh, I didn't know. You knew. You knew that being given bar mitzvahs to dogs is not, uh, is not in the Torah. You knew that you can't go against Kiruv. You knew that modesty is very important to Hashem. You knew that there's nobody in the Torah wearing a wig. You knew. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not some uh, mystical thing. Loba Shamayimi. The Torah is not in heaven. It's here. You have it in front of you. Read the book. It's in there. Commentary. Make it easy for you. You don't even have to know Hebrew. You can eat your English, Spanish, Russian, whatever language you want. Don't come with the Mashiach. Oh, I didn't know. You knew. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. You have to make a choice. Who's your God? The one of Am Yisrael or the Satan? 
You have to pick. And that's what people have to understand. That it's, People say, wait a minute. They came to Rav Wasserman, Zechat Tzadik Livacha. He said, Kvod Rav. Is it true that all of these people that are not following the Torah are going to go to Geno? All of them. It's the majority of the world. And Rav Wasserman wasn't exactly known for yelling and screaming. You know, he's man of truth, but he's old man already at that time. Yes, Kvod Rav. Is everybody going to go to Geno? Really? Smashed on the tables. Yeah, of course. Bet that they're going to go to Geno. What do you mean? What kind of question is that? What is it like, he says? It's like you're walking around in the desert. There's no food for miles. There's no water for miles. There's nothing. Your next door neighbor is a scorpion and the other one is a snake. Both of them want to kill you. And all of a sudden you see a castle. Brand new castle. Middle of the desert. You go inside the castle. Everything is beautiful clean, brand new. Immediately you see a kitchen with all amazing food and cakes, apple and chicken and steaks and everything is fresh and hot. All ready. And right next to it, the plates are made out of diamonds. So you help yourself to a couple of diamonds in the pocket and you help yourself to an apple and then a steak then an ice cream, because it's parv, and this, and that, and all of a sudden there's a hand that grabs your shoulder, hey, 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 what are you doing here? Who told you you could eat this food? Who told you you could be in this castle? He's like, oh, what do you mean? It was here. I didn't know anybody owned it. They throw you in front of the judge, say, listen, this thief just went into the castle and started stealing the king's food. So the judge asks you, what were you thinking? What were you thinking going into the king's castle and stealing his food and diamonds on top of it? And Rav says, when the fool says, I didn't know anyone owned it, the judge will punish him twice. One for stealing and one for stupidity, for thinking that it all came from nothing. The castle came from nothing. The food is warm without anyone cooking it. The ice cream didn't melt and it's waiting for you only without nothing from an explosion. That's another reason you go to the game home. What Wasserman said this? You knew. You knew the dog is not supposed to wear its feeling. You know you're not supposed to drive on Shabbat. You knew. Mashiach comes. You can't say I didn't know. Ken said didn't know. And this is what the next Mishnah says. Relatively quickly we'll go through it. The Mishnah was written by Rebbe, Rabbi Yudan Asi. That all of the sages agreed that if the Mashiach was coming at that time, it would be him. It would be Rebbe. It's the perfect human being. And this next Mishnah, Tetzain, 16, is his son, Rabban Gamliel. So like we learned before, 
If the father is great, he's going to bear good fruit. And Kana was amazing. We saw what Shmuel was. That's why in the, Gemara, the entire Gemara it says, Alachaki Rabban Gamliel. Anytime Rabban Gamliel says his opinion on something, that's the Alacha, by default. Doesn't matter, makes sense, doesn't make sense. He says something, that's it. He rules. Rabban Gamliel. It could be anybody else. Rabban Gamliel says, that's it. Alachaki Rabban Gamliel. That's how great Rabban Gamliel was. Rabban Gamliel, Yaomer, Aselech Arab. Rabban Gamliel was accustomed to say, make yourself a Rav, make yourself a teacher. Remove yourself from uncertainty and do not give excess tithes by estimating instead of measuring. So first and foremost, Rabban Gamliel is repeating what we already learned a few weeks ago, which is Aselech Arav. Make yourself a rabbi. Why is he repeating it? We already learned make yourself a rabbi. Here he's telling us, even if you're a rabbi, make yourself a rabbi. It's so important for you to have a rabbi that it has to be repeated. Because even if you learned the other Mishnah that we learned several weeks ago, and already by now you've taken it all in, you became a rabbi. Don't think you know too much. Because you're going to need a rabbi. To strain you out. It's not always going to be a rabbi that you need to know for halachot. Maybe you don't know. You need to go to a rabbi for halachot. You need to learn halachot from him. But once in a while you're going to need a rabbi for emunah. Kodarav, I don't know. I'm learning Torah two, three, four hours a day. But my kids are still failing at school. My wife hates me. My husband's this. My wife this. Panasa's not coming. My kid's walking around with ripped clothes. Explain this to me, Kvod Arav. How could it be? You're going to need a rabbi to tell you what's going to, what's happening. You need somebody to straighten you out. You need somebody to explain to you, listen, my son, Hashem is only going to give a test to those He loves. If He's not giving you tests, if all you're getting is reward, you should be worried. If you just won $100,000 but you're Mechalil Shabbat, you should be worried, my friend. Hashem is paying you a reward in this life. If you're driving a Ferrari on Shabbat, you should be worried. If you found a Zivug after two weeks of looking, you should be worried. It's supposed to be a little harder, it's supposed to be a little more difficult. Maybe you didn't ask her right questions. Maybe you didn't ask her if she has Yirat Shamayim. Maybe she doesn't agree to keep Shabbat. Maybe she doesn't agree to do what she needs to do to, to, to build a Jewish home. So to finalize all of it, he's telling you, you need a Rav. You need a Rav to remind you of what God said. Because sometimes you're going to have a Safik. Sometimes you're going to have a doubt, you're going to have uncertainty, you have a moment of weakness. And only the Rav that knows you is going to be able to help you. Only the one that you told the deepest, dirtiest secrets you have, he's the one that can help you. The one that teaches you Allah can't help you. What's he going to tell you? Go wash your hands in a better way. What's he going to tell you? Keep Shabbat? You keep Shabbat already. Learn Torah, you're already learning two, three, four, five hours a day. 
Only the Rav that knows that you have paya, you have problems with shlom bayit, that you don't know how to treat your wife. He's going to know, oh, he doesn't treat his wife good. Of course he's going to have Panasa problems. Of course he's not going to have any money. The Panasa comes from the wife, not from the husband. You can work 500 hours a day. You're not nice to your wife, no Panasa is coming to your house. And even if you're getting Panasa, without being nice to your wife, if you were actually nice to your wife, you'd get 500 million times more. If you're a millionaire, you would be a billionaire if you were nice to your wife. A man that goes against his wife, but thinks he's a tzaddik because he wears white on Rosh Hashanah. He wears white on Rosh Hashanah, but he yells at his wife every day. There's no one stupider than him. He's losing money with every yell. He's losing his Allah Abba with every yell. He says, only the Rav that knows these things about you. Because your wife keeps coming to him crying. Kvodarav, he beat me up again. Kvodarav, he yelled at me. Kvodarav, he this. Kvodarav, he did this. Every day she's crying to the Rav or to the Rabbanit. Only that rabbi is going to get you out of this effect. He's going to tell, oh yeah, you lost all your money in the stock market? Let me tell you why. Because for the last six months, your wife is coming here crying every day. And every time I try to call you, you hang up on me. That's why. Oh, your kids are failing in school? Oh, let me tell you why. Because every day, the principal calls because your kids keep cutting class, but you don't want to pick up the phone. You just think that as long as you pay the $2,000 a month, they're going to keep accepting your kids. Okay, they accepted them. They accepted the $2,000 a month, but the kid is not going to pass. He's going to stay in first grade forever. He's going to be 30 years old, first grade. Kid has a beard. He's still in first grade because you didn't want to answer the phone because you thought money buys everything. You didn't pay attention to your kids. Oh, your kid's doing drugs? Yeah, of course he's doing drugs. Why? Because you let him watch TV and his favorite movie star is doing drugs on TV. Oh, your daughter has a goy boyfriend? Of course she has a goy boyfriend. Because she goes to public school. Who is she going to be friends with? What, Sadiq from uh, from Yavne? Who is she going to be friends with? It's the rabbi that knows you is going to tell you these things. The rabbi that knows these things is going to tell you. He's going to get you out of this effect. Out of the doubt that you have, he's going to straighten you out. And last but not least, he tells us something that literally doesn't mean much, but when we actually look at the details, it means everything. It means it puts this entire shiur into perspective. After you find this av that's going to remind you of everything, get you out of the safek, get you out of the certainty. He says, don't give excess tithes. Don't give extra tzedakah. Don't give extra tzedakah. The last thing that in this generation, the only thing they talk about is tzedakah. I actually had a rabbi, so-called rabbi, tell me, the only tikkun this generation has is to give tzedakah. They don't have to keep Shabbat, they don't have to keep kosher, they don't have to keep everything. Only thing they do is give tzedakah. I'm like, oh, okay, so they goyim also have balamba. So what does Mashiach have to come for? We're already, we're already in heaven. The foolishness of people is, has no, no bounds, no limits. They just create new Torahs every day. So what does it mean here, don't, don't give extra tzedakah? Hashem says, give a tithe. Give 10%. He says, don't give excess. Meaning, He wants you to measure it. He says, give 10%. Not approximately 10%. 10%. You have 100, give 10. 
You have 101, give 10.1. You have 1,600, give 160. Don't give like approximately 150, because 150 is better than 160. And don't even give 200, because 160 is the 10. Yes, you can give excess, that's 200, but the point here is not necessarily the money. The point here is don't get used to living your, your life with a approximate. Approximately. Everybody's approximate. Oh, do you keep Shabbat? Yeah, approximately. What's a pro? What's approximately keeping Shabbat? Ah, three o'clock in the afternoon. I got sick of it, so I started watching TV. I approximately kept most of the Shabbat. You eat kosher? Approximately. What was approximately kosher? I eat kosher at home. Outside, I, you know, I eat pizza. I eat spaghetti at the Cuban restaurant, at the Italian restaurant, and uh, some cheese sandwich, delicious rice and beans at the Cuban restaurant. It's not kosher, though. Yeah, it's approximately kosher. It's beans. Approximately. Approximately. Pray bincha? Yeah, yeah, approximately. What's approximately? Yeah, I came there. I saw it's really quiet. Ah, it's kind of boring. I left. I said, Hashem, thank you. I said, thank you to Hashem. Approximately. I prayed. So don't be, don't live your life approximately. Because then Mashiach comes, or Judgment Day comes, whichever one comes first, I tell you, oh, you're going to gain home. For how long? Approximately a million years. Well, it's not, it's not definite? No, it's a maybe forever. Why? Why so long? Because ah, you did approximately. We're doing approximately. It's like the joke. And somebody said, listen, you guys are wasting your time with all these mitzvot, this thing. I already know what I'm going to say when I get up there. Well, what are you going to say? Say, listen, I never went to school. I never learned how to read. I never learned how to read. So you think it's going to work? It's like, I know it's going to work. What are you going to say? I don't know how to read. I don't know who Moses is. I don't know who Avraham Avinu is. I didn't know what Alachot, what this. I don't know all these things. I know nothing. What are they going to do? It's not going to judge me unfavorably. I don't know. Okay. One day he goes up to Shemaim. His friend comes with him at the same time. The one that kept the mitzvot, he didn't keep anything. The one that kept the mitzvot, he said, Oh, you kept this, you kept that. Okay, you go to Gan Eden. He's on the right. He sees, he looks in. The other guy looks in. He says, Oh, a bunch of old people studying Torah. Who wants to go there? It's like, Okay, what about you? We're looking at your file. You didn't do any mitzvot. All you did is sins. He's like, yes, I have an explanation. What's your explanation? He goes, I didn't know how to read. So you want, he said, how am I supposed to know that this is really going to happen? Like there's really a judgment day, that there's really uh, a bedin of shamayim, that there's really ganed and there's really ganom. Now I know. Ah, if you send me back, I'll do better. Now, he's like, yeah, we can't send you back. But you did put us in a dilemma. You put us in a dilemma since you didn't know how to read. We really can't throw you into Gainom because you didn't do it intentionally. But we can't really put you into Gan Eden so you're in the middle. So you know what? We'll let you choose. We'll let you just peek in. Go inside each one of the rooms. You decide which one you want to be in. Psh, the guy's like, I know it's going to work. So he goes inside Gan Eden. He sees a bunch of old people studying Torah. I didn't want to study when I was over there. I'm going to study now. Who wants to study this Torah? Let me see this other place. Goes inside Gainom. Sees people playing pool, 
jumping into a pool, immodesty, this, casino, all this stuff. Ah, it's the right place. But then he moves the curtain and he sees suffering, getting beat up, getting this, get all Hashem Elachem. Immediately he runs back, but he sees the door is closed and there's a giant demon guarding it. He says, oh, I got to get out. He goes, nobody gets out of here. There's only a one-way street. Goes, no, no, no. They gave me a VIP. Look, I have a VIP that I could go in and out. He goes, let me see. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know how to read. <laughs> Couldn't read either. The big demon. That's it. Wow. <laughs> the rabbi is going to remind you. He's going to remind you of the truth. If he's not reminding you of the truth, if he's not reminding you to make Torah your business... He's not worth anything. If he doesn't remind you of what Shammai said to make Torah a business, to say little, do much, to follow the Torah 100%, to smile at the right time, and to frown at the right time. When someone's honoring the Torah, smile at them. Someone is mocking the Torah, you have no right smiling at them. And last but not least... Don't live your life approximately. Do it right. So at least when the day comes, you have no doubts, no excuses, no waste of time. You knew, everyone knows you knew. There's no lying up there. Hashem knows what's in your heart. It's even another one of the 13 principles of faith. You could fool me, you could fool your friends, you could fool your wife, your husband, this, you could fool everybody. Hashem, you can't fool. Don't live your life approximately. Live your life 100%, but Hashem will all do tshuva. Any questions? Amen, amen.